Dita Scholl is joining me today on Banded About. Welcome, Dita. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How's yourself? Not too bad. Dita, well, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed today. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. My pleasure. So let's start from the very beginning. It's a very fine place to start. <laughs> beginning? Where were you born, Dita? I was born in Wyala. Wyala. Yeah, about four hours away. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm aware of where, where Wyala is. <laughs> Just for those listening that okay. don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Your parents had been living there for a while or? My mother was born in Wyala, I believe. Yeah. Father was born in Augsburg, Bavaria, Germany. Um, but came out when he was about... Thirteen, I think. I'm I'm the eldest in the family. Okay. I'm the first firstborn. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have a, a brother and a sister. Um, then my parents divorced, and my when my mother remarried, she had another three boys. So I've got three half brothers from the same yeah. mother. And when my father. His second marriage didn't bear any children, but his third marriage did. Right. So I've got another half-brother, half-sister from a different mother. Right. So there's a lot of you. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Excellent. Was I was there five years in Wyla. Moved to Germany, was there for six years, and then moved back to Wyla when I was 12. And... Then left Wyala when I was 17 to join a band in Port Lincoln. <laughs> right, Port Lincoln. So what was the first band? Well, my first band was in Wyala yeah. uh, when I was 16 um, and we kind of did our first sort of mini tour of the peninsula and you know, spent a bit of time in Port Lincoln and there I was asked to uh, come and join a new band that was forming there out of the remnant, remnants of the band that won the ba- Battle of the Bands the previous year. Right. In, uh, of the whole peninsula. Yeah. Okay. So I, they, they also needed a guitarist. I suggested the guitarist from my whaler band. Mm-hmm. So we both moved down to Port Lincoln. Okay. So was this a um, original band or did you do covers or? No, it was just covers. covers. Yeah. Okay, great. And the band was called? Oh, the band was called The Resonators. Um, And then we kind of took took the two older guys in the band um, sort of stepped back and us three younger ones just continued on as the staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the older guys from the band that stepped back, he, he was managing the staff as well. Um, yeah, we just toured. We were playing every weekend uh, up the up and down the West Coast. We were like the band, the band. around that time. Great. Yeah. Yeah, getting big crowds wherever we played. Home pretty much every weekend. That was great, great time. times, yeah. So what um what made you start playing the drums? Um I saw I do recall seeing Sweet on TV mm-hmm. when I was like five years old or something. Saw the drummer Mick Tucker spinning his sticks and stuff, and for some reason I just Decided there and then, that's what I want to do. Right. <laughs> um, my my father was a, he's a key, he was a keyboard player. He was playing in bands on the side. Um, you know, he had a, like a Hammond organ and a Leslie box. You know, like John Lord mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so was so your dad was, your first sort of influence to play a musical instrument or? Probably. I, I, I'd see him play at, you know, outdoor festivals and whatever. Mm. 
or you know go along the next day after a gig like at the Westlands or something and and you know you watch them pack up packing up their stuff and loading up the vans and stuff my dad had a combi cool. <laughs> with flowers on it cool <laughs> Um, yeah, and my mum reckons from the age of two I was already um, playing rhythms on, on anything. Yeah. I could sound out. Were you one of those kids <laughs> that went through the pots and pans cupboard? Absolutely, yeah. I used to build drum kits. Um, I'd use stacks of books, use wooden spoons or cutlery yeah. to play with. Um, pots and pans, cushions, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Sometimes, sometimes even record and get my brother to sing or something. <laughs> okay. So yeah. your siblings, do they, any of them play instruments or involved in music? Uh, well, my brother, he's dabbled a bit on guitar, he, like he owns he owns um, a Zach Wild replica, and and he's also got an le- electronic drum kit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he just dabbles. Yeah, you know, he's never really properly learnt anything. Just does it for fun. Yeah. Other than that, my my sister wished she could sing, but she can't. <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas I've I've been gifted with that as well. So yes, I've heard you sing. Yes, <laughs> you have been gifted, and haven't that, you? And that. Would come from my mum's side of the family because um, uh, her and her siblings are all very good singers, actually. All right. Well, most yeah. of them, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, in fact, she's got twin brothers that have been singing on stage since they were like three years old. They, they used to perform at the football club and stuff, West Wyala Football Club. Mm. And whenever we have family get togethers now, they always. Uh, rip out a few tunes. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah. Excellent. When you um, first started drumming because, you know, you really wanted to do that, were you, did you go and study with anybody or? Um, so originally it came about like I, I, I was asking for, for years for a drum kit mm. when we were living over in Germany, um, but we lived in a flat. And, um, you know, my parents would try and talk me into learning piano. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, once you can play piano, like drums are a really hard instrument. Once you can play some piano, you can kind of branch out into any instrument. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, my father himself, like, he he had accordion lessons back in Germany, right? (laughs) Which is pretty, a pretty pretty traditional thing, apparently. It but is over like there, yes, yes. Germans, the Pole, the Polish, mm-hmm. I think they all sort of. Accordion lessons were pretty popular, but from that he taught himself to play keyboards. So, okay. Uh, mm. Anyway, I managed to get one piano lesson out of Dad. <laughs> that was about it. Mm. But uh, yeah, I was just adamant I wanted to play drums. So I was asking over the years, oh, you know, I want some drums. And then it wasn't till I was about 11 when I I actually went along to one of my dad's band rehearsals mm. and his, their drummer didn't show up but his drum kit was set up. And uh, they were a cover band. They were just learning they were just learning a smoky song. Oh, okay, which, yeah. Which I'd, I'd heard on the radio. I knew the song. Mm. So they let me sit, sit in on drums. I'd never sat on, on a drum kit before, but I, I actually was able to sit and play through the whole song having never played drums before. Wow. So my dad... It was a wake up for my dad. He realised I better get him a drum kit. Absolutely, <laughs> he's got some. He's got some serious talent because mm. you know, normally a kid doesn't just sit on an instrument and start and can start playing it, having never done it before. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he did end up scoring a drum kit 
off the drummer from his band, uh, a kit that had been in a car accident, so it kind of it had a hole hole through the top of the bass drum, so you couldn't actually mount toms on there. Right. So didn't have any rack toms, just just, just a bass drum, a floor tom, snare. It didn't even have a hi-hat stand. It just had a cymbal stand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was my first sort of drum kit. It was pretty basic. And I'd just play with tea towels over it in, in our flat. And, you know, within the year we, were, we moved back to Germany. Um, my, I think it was my grandparents. Yeah, one, one of my grandfather's uh, colleagues, work colleagues, um, managed to organise for me to borrow a drum kit. Mm. So uh, straight away when I got back to Australia, I was playing on a decent drum kit. Then, yeah, when we got our own house, I bought my own, got, got my own dr- little drum kit and, you know, had a KISS logo made up on there. Mm. <laughs> On the front of the head, stuff like that. Yeah, and I just I just learnt by playing along to records. Um, I did initially have some lessons in Germany in that first year. Um, initially, it was just some snare drum uh, stuff, and then I got a different teacher, which was he was a jazz player, and you know, learnt a few exercises off him. So yeah, I might might have had maybe six months of of lessons, but mostly I was just self taught playing along to records. Yeah, and that's how it went for you know a f- few years here before I eventually joined my first band, Zenith. Okay, with, Zenith. Yeah, mm-hmm. with uh, somebody that's kind of fairly well known in the Adelaide scene now. Um, that was Robert Putty. Yeah. He was known back then, but he's now known as Pigsy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he was in my first band back in Wyala. Oh, wow. When I was 16. Yeah. Awesome. And, yeah, from there I moved to Lincoln to join a band. After two and a half years in Lincoln, um, me and the guitarist were a bit more ambitious we, you know, we were still young, so we thought we need to get to the big smoke. So we actually both moved to Sydney, mm. which is where my dad actually lived. So I moved, I moved in with my dad and his second wife. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was only there for about five months when I chose to move to Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. So what made you come to Adelaide? Well, I was kind of into the into metal back then mm-hmm. already, so I was, you know I was over in Sydney there to sort of get in amongst the metal scene. But while I was there, the the best metal band that I saw was actually <laughs> came from Adelaide. It was almost human. Oh, okay, yeah. And I, I was about to audition for this band in Sydney that had a couple of guys from New York in the band, like apparently the bass player played like Billy Sheehan and and this and that. And the day before I was to audition, um, my dad and I got into a street fight in Marrickville, a um, bit of a road rage incident, and I actually cracked a bone in my hand from punching someone. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I never made it to the audition. Um, and, yeah, so after five months, plus I still had a girlfriend back in Port Lincoln, so I ended up just moving to Adelaide, um, you know, going from small country town to, to Sydney was a big sort of jump. Yeah, it's a big leap, yeah. Yeah, yeah so Adelaide might be a happy medium closer to my girlfriend and, and obviously I thought the metal scene here was – Possibly even better, anyway. Mm. So that's what happened. I was here, and I moved here in '88. And you've stayed here ever since. 
Yeah. Awesome. Been, been stuck here ever since. <laughs> stuck here. <laughs> I don't know. It's not too Wish bad a place to be to stuck. LA or something. Hey? <laughs> not too bad a place to be stuck. At the moment, it's probably the best place in the world. Absolutely, like it's, it's the safest place in Australia, if not the world. Mm. You know? mm. Yeah. So, See, there's a lot to be said for Adelaide. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm still doing what I love. I'm still playing. I'm and singing and and actually teaching. Teaching drums, so. Okay, so where are you teaching? Uh, I teach at uh, several places, um, private colleges, um, um, music school, music shop. But, yeah, teaching's kind of dwindled over the years as well. Um, You know, 13 years ago or something, I was teaching sort of six days a week. Mm-hmm. I had 70-odd students. Um, but, yeah, over the years it's just dwindled with, you know, popular music just doesn't have any real drums in it anymore. <laughs> mm, yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, it sucks. It's kind of like, you know, it's becoming a dying art. There's just few and far real musicians out there now. Music is just computerised now. It's just... It's got no soul to it. I mean, you can't you can't tell this to the younger generation because they've grown up with it. That's all they know, really. But but we know better. We've had we've we do experienced <laughs> the real stuff, you know. And I'm going to continue doing it because mm. I, that's what I love. That's what I know. Mm. And I'm going to keep teaching the odd kids that still are keen, you know. Yeah. Um, so nowadays I only teach uh, maybe 25 students, so maybe two and a half days a week. Yeah. And how did you do that during COVID uh, restrictions? Well, one school stayed open. Right. Well, a couple of the other schools I had to start trying to do some Zoom lessons with students. Mm-hmm. Not everyone was keen to do it, so it was a lot less students I had uh, during that time. Mm. Um, and you know, the same with the, the music schools and the, and the music shop. Obviously, the, the teaching room was just too small to have 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 you that close in proximity at the time. So yeah. Kind of lost all but one of those students. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Zoom lessons just aren't the same. Like the, unless you both got a really good connection. Um, plus, there's a inbuilt filter that tries to filter out background noise, mm-hmm. and it doesn't distinguish between drums and background noise. Oh, okay, so that's the students would be playing, and and I'd be, I have to try and watch their hands because because. There'd be no sound coming out. <laughs> It'd be filtered out. Oh, wow. I didn't realise it did that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. No, so have fun. you always um, worked primarily with music then or? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, there was quite a few years, probably about 13 years or something where I wasn't Playing, I wasn't out playing in the scene. Mm. I was just um, playing in church. Okay. And working a real job, <laughs> so to speak. Okay, so what did you do for a real job? <laughs> um, well, I, I worked in a service station for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> Night shift mainly. But, yeah, that was just, it was like permanent jet lag. <laughs> mm. Because I, I had a young family and then you'd work four nights and then try try and switch your whole sleeping routine around for three for three days to try and spend some time with the family. And then, yeah, it was just wasn't ideal. No. Uh, so, then, so then I became a builder. <laughs> okay. And then while I was – because I was a subcontractor, I, I was able to uh, – go and study, I decided 
one of my ex-drum students, um, he started going to TAFE. So I was just sort of at that stage, I was just sort of teaching the odd person just privately. Mm. Um, but one of them decided he was going to TAFE and he was telling me about the whole experience and it made me think that, yeah, you know, the, the, this building work, anyone can do this, like anyone can learn it, whereas you know, I've got I've got a, a talent that I'm not utilising. I, I could be making a living off, you know, utilising my talent. Yeah. So I decided to make myself more employable by I went to TAFE. I did it part-time. I got straight into Certificate 4. Most Normally you'd have to do six months of Certificate 3, but uh, once I auditioned, they put me straight into Certificate 4 because mm-hmm. of you know, all the experience I already had, I guess. Um, plus my my student that was doing the TAFE, he gave me uh, a theory, theory, theory book, so I was able to sort of brush up on some theory before I went and auditioned. Mm. So that got me through that. And so, yeah, yeah, I did my certificate for over two years, just part-time. So, you know, I was still doing the building. Mm. And then, yeah, my my lecturer, my, my drum teacher, because obviously I got some drum lessons while I was there, and then my drum teacher, one of the colleges he was teaching at, he had to leave, so he actually recommended me. So I started teaching at a college then, a private college, and it just kind of grew from there. Uh, then I sort of did my knee in um, at work. It was actually an old soccer injury. <laughs> I'd already – it was an old – I'd torn my anterior cruciate um, but never had it fixed. But then when it happened at work, I, um, I was able to get an operation that was paid for get that fixed and while while I was kind of, kind of recovering from that I just went around I went through the yellow pages found all these private uh, colleges and schools and that whatever and just drove there hopped out of the car on my crutches and left my resume said mm. you need a drum teacher you know and eventually I you know, I started building up my all my teaching because I wasn't going to go back to building. And, yeah, I was just able to live off that, doing what I, I like to do. I mean, not every musician is into teaching, you know. Just because you play an instrument doesn't mean you've got, the, got what it takes to teach. That's right. That's a separate skill again, isn't it? Yeah, I got into it. I mean, before, before having gone to tape, because I was self-taught, I didn't have the confidence in teaching. Mm. It, was, I, it was hard to sort of verbalise what I know, you know, because I've just picked the, most things up by ear. Yeah. So through, through uh, learning how to rhythm read and all that sort of stuff, I felt a lot more confident to teach and that's how it all sort of snowballed. So, yeah. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. So with the teaching having dwindled over the past few years, I've had to pick up other jobs. <laughs> okay. So what else are you doing for work then? Um, well, I was. I've always sort of been in multiple bands, you know, sometimes up to six bands at a time. Um, but, of course, at the moment can't can't play, so there's one job that's gone. <laughs> Although some some bands have started playing again, but it's just so limited with the numbers and and no dancing and all that sort of stuff that I oh, just really couldn't be bothered. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I assemble bikes at Kmart. <laughs> yeah, um, I do some window cleaning, but that kind of that kind of stopped with that most because we were doing most of the car yards and once once COVID hit, they went selling cars. They couldn't allow everyone on the site on this. You know, anyway. So what happened? <laughs> all that stopped. 
So thank goodness there was JobKeeper. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that saved a lot of people, didn't it? Yes. Mm. I know some people who were um, self-employed, not not necessarily musicians, but, you know, in, in other areas who actually were better off once that came along. Yeah, lucky them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, it sort but of I, some, it's had a good, uh, a positive for some people, but uh, as far as the music industry goes, well, it's been quite devastating. Yeah, but since the change came in in September, I, I don't actually qualify for JobKeeper anymore because I'm not earning 30% less. I'm earning, you know, a substantial amount less, but not thirty percent yet. So yeah, yeah. Still got bits of bits of work here and there. Because mm. the teaching's kind of come back, but you know, we're we're not zooming anymore, and and some of the window cleaning jobs have picked up again. And mm. where's where's the bikes? Oh, that's that's been up and down ever since COVID because they. At that stages, they just completely run out of stock, so they have nothing to build. Yeah, yeah. And trying then, to get yeah. things from other places is quite difficult. Just yeah, trying to get then, a letter from one side of Adelaide to the other side of Adelaide is, you know, quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they get when they get stock in, I've got to build flat out. Mm. So the time that I wasn't working, I wasn't making money. But then the time when I was working, I was making more money. Yeah. So it, it kind of panned out in the end. Yeah, well, you know, we're, what, a month and a bit away from uh, Christmas, so, you know, surely that would be a busy time anyway for you, wouldn't it, building bikes? Oh, definitely, definitely. Mm. Once the teaching stops when the term finishes, um, I usually start building bikes pretty much every day. Going back to playing in bands, you know, in the days when things were lovely and people could play all the time. What was your first big gig? First big gig? Yeah. As in show or as, yeah, as in you know, band? Playing, band, playing with a band. Which What was your first big show? Let's start with oh, the, the show. The first show of significance would have been playing at Pondy in 86. Yeah. This was my three-piece band from Port Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Got invited to play at Pondy. Nice. Um, yeah, that was that was an experience. Pondy <laughs> so, is an experience, yes. So there I was, eighty six. So I would have been like you know, eighteen, nineteen years old or something. And we opened up with Hot for Teacher, <laughs> 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 which I I, I I sung and played. Yeah. Uh, that was a ripper, yeah. It would have gone down well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got got their attention. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got to open and close with a bang, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that band we did actually uh, write some original material as well. We did a a, a, a cassette. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, what was your first recording? In a, yeah, in a we, we recorded. There was a guy in Port Lincoln, a German dude with the same name as me, Dieter. <laughs> he, okay. um, he had a studio, so we recorded recorded a cassette there and released it, and it was quite popular on the West Coast. <laughs> Is it still out there somewhere? Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've still got couple of copies it's it's a mixture of covers and, and originals mm. we did such covers as i don't know what we do boring blitz <laughs> um of course because you're a sweet fan right <laughs> oh yeah um what else um jailbreak that was on there as a cover another cover was and she was mm. talking heads yeah i love talking heads they're great yeah so yeah, that that was probably my first recording. I did a recording with um, I was in a band called Sioux City mm-hmm. with uh, Deborah Knott on vocals. Um, that was in the early nineties. We recorded a cassette as well, actually, <laughs> we 
with a couple of originals on it. Um, then I joined this original band that was starting up called Innuendo. Okay. Back in 92. Um, and our manager paid for us to go to Sydney to record at Rich Studios because there wasn't a decent studio in Adelaide at the time. Okay. So we spent a month over there recording an album and um, unfortunately the, the band didn't stay together long enough to before, before it even got released. By the time it came out there was only two of us left <laughs> and we even actually did a couple of shows as a two-piece like um, Raphael Azariah, he's still on the Adelaide scene now. He he played guitar mm-hmm. and keyboards. Uh, so he he'd sort of he'd sequenced some some of the songs and like sequenced the bass lines and stuff. Play the guitar and maybe some keyboards here and there, and I'd play drums and do most of the lead vocals. Mm. Actually, I think I did all the lead vocals. He, he did all the harmonies. So we managed to pull it off as a two-piece, but, yeah, no one was going to sign a two-piece. <laughs> so, yeah, it, even though it was a you know, pretty good album, actually, um, I've got some friends now that still say it's their favourite album. But, yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't keep it together. Yeah, it's a shame. Wow. Yeah. It's happened to all of us at some time, like you're sitting in with a band. You've done that, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. So when you're sitting in with a band, okay, and <laughs> um, they call the tune and, and you don't really know it, how do you manage to drive the bus? <laughs> oh, you just, you, you know, you wing it. <laughs> you wing it. <laughs> I've had that happen with playing along to backing tracks where I don't even know the song. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm doing is keeping keeping in time with the click mm-hmm. and, um, you know, trying to listen to where the bass is going and you try, try and lock in with the bass part, you know. Yep. And keep an eye out. You've got to keep an eye out on the other musicians on the stage that, that actually know the song. They'll, they'll give you some signals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, so what do you fun. do if you can't lock in the pocket with another musician? Um, then it sounds pretty loose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your drums and your bass player, you know, they're, they're your engine room. So have you had a bass player that you just couldn't lock in with? Yeah, I've played with, you know, there's been bass player that tended to play on top of the beat, you know, mm-hmm. trying to rush it all the time. Yeah. And, and you're trying to sit back and hopefully they're going <laughs> to feel that I'm sitting back and try and pull the reins in a bit. And and same way, the other way around as well, where they just kind of always seem to be lagging just behind and you're trying to push it. <laughs> mm. But you can't push it too much because you know, you still got to try and sound like you're together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a fine line and you just got to hope that they can pick up on that they're lagging. <laughs> so do you have any um, tips for any inspiring drummers about ways that they can um, improve their, you know, hands and feet technique or...? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That you'd like to share? Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, tips to improve hand and feet technique. Let's see. Um, well, there's one way. When when most drummers pick up a stick, they'll hold it right at the back and. They'll play, they'll, they'll grip it with their thumb on top, which means they're playing with their wrist, 
moving sideways, right? Yep. Now, sideways, your wrist only has about 45-degree movement. I lie, 90-degree movement. Um, whereas if you rotate, to just rotate your hand so that your thumb's actually on the side of the stick and your palm's facing down, and push the stick up a bit so that you're holding about about a third of the way up rather than right at the back, you'll find you've actually got a twice as much movement in your wrist that way, the up and down movement. Mm-hmm. So you've got about 180-degree movement. And once you, if you just snap your wrist and then allow the stick to rebound, you're going you're gonna to actually get um, the most out of the, the best sound out of the head of the drum with the least amount of effort being exerted because you're utilising the bounce. So it's, kind of, it's very much like bouncing a ball, you're bouncing a stick. And the thing is, like, I, I used to play because nobody ever showed me how to hold a stick, how to play a, a wrist stroke or anything like that. So I, I just played how everyone sort of normally would do it, pick it up and just naturally do it. And I, I used to have, you know, with the amount of playing I was doing, I, I had full-on calluses in my hands. Mm. But since I've changed it to this technique... I can do just as much playing, teaching, rehearsals, whatever, and I don't have any calluses at all. Well, that's great. <laughs> I don't think people realise that how um, important it is to be ergonomically friendly, should I, should I say, like, um, you know, because it does. It puts so much strain on your body yeah, and your wrists and that sort of thing if, you, if you're not playing correctly. So, if you don't and, allow the stick to bounce... Mm. That the the shock waves go up the stick and up your in your arm, and then it's kind of you get, got to do a downstroke and then an upstroke, downstroke, upstroke. Whereas if you let bounce, the shock waves just dissipate, and it's half the effort. It's just a downstroke, and it just comes back by itself. I love watching drummers who play that effortlessly. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the key the key yeah. is to be stay relaxed. As soon as you're mm. tensing anywhere, you're gonna hurt yourself. Yeah, well And you're restricting movement. Yeah, drummers do well I've heard of drummers having a lot of um injuries, either their wrists, their um elbows, shoulders, knees, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't had any of that, fortunately. I mean I've Always had back pain over the years. Um, but I don't know whether that's to do with drumming or what, but obviously... Sitting maybe for a long time, who knows? <laughs> setting up and pulling down drum kits um, can, is quite a strain on the lower back. You've got to get used to bending at your knees um, to try and save your back. That sort of thing. Um, always engage your core whenever you're lifting anything. Mm-hmm. And it's the same when you're seated at, at, on your drum throne. You've got to engage your core. You've got to think tall. You've got to keep, that, keep a good, good posture. Yes. So I'm always teaching that to my students. Um, and, of course, you can't be leaning on one foot or the other when you're playing. You've got to, you've got to be anchored on your drum throne and able to lift both feet off the ground. How efficient are you um, with loading in and out these days, Dieter? Efficient? Well, I don't know. I, I can probably set my drums up in 15, 20 minutes, pull them down in 15. It's just one of those things. Some people have been fortunate enough to not have to worry about that sort of thing because they got somebody employed to do it for them. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've never been one of those. 
No. <laughs> Not even when you play with audio rain? Mm. You, you don't have somebody that can do that for you? No. 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 We're not at that level. <laughs> not that at that level. Not yet. But some of these some of these cover bands that have, that make it that have been very successful. Can, yeah, they've employed somebody to do everything for them as well. But yeah. unfortunately, I've never been in such a band. Even when I was in Clearway, <laughs> they do everything themselves. What style of music do you prefer to play? Um, progressive metal. Like my dad um, probably got me into progressive rock back in the 70s. He, he had uh, tapes, you know, albums and that of uh, Yes, obviously Deep Purple. Um, yeah, so I've, that must have given me my first taste of progressive music and then once I heard Dream Theatre, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> that that melding of progressiveness and metal was just the ultimate mm. to me. But you know, I love I love quite a bit of the uh, symphonic metal and stuff like that as well. <laughs> like the singer in my band Audio Rain, he he, he calls it Euro metal. What I'm into. <laughs> <laughs> He he listens to most most of the stuff he listens to is all this American heavy 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 music, but yeah, most of mine's probably European. European. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Do you ever get bored with your own playing? Uh, yeah, sure. And how do you fix that? Try and think outside the box. Try and just do something that you wouldn't normally do. And just experiment. Um, you know, try and find someone, something on YouTube that's that inspires you. All right, let's talk about local drummers. Who are your top three local drummers? Gee, that's a big question. Um, oh, first one that comes to mind is Brody Green, um, Michael Jafrida. Brad Pallane. There mm-hmm. you go. There's three. Yeah, there's three. We've got so many wonderful drummers here. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I was just curious as to who your top three would be. Here's a scenario. If you could invite any musician to play in a concert with you anywhere in the world, who would you call, where would you play, and what genre would the band perform? <laughs> Um, any musician. Wow. <laughs> Maybe Steve Vai. Mm-hmm. Playing at um, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> nice, nice. And playing progressive metal. <laughs> Regressive metal. That was a given, wasn't it? <laughs> um, has there been something that you've tried to play on drums and you couldn't get it right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, there'd be lots of things. <laughs> um, there's even some some certain beats or grooves today that I've been playing over the years and and yet not every time that I try it does it come together. <laughs> sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, but anything in particular for... Um, can't actually think of anything at the moment. Mm. Okay. Hmm. Leave that with me. <laughs> well, do you have a um a most memorable gig story to share? Memorable gig, um, for sure. It's a couple, probably. Um, oh, you know, probably 
best memories will have to be playing the big day out with Audio Rain. Um, that would have been amazing. It was. Um, I miss the big day out. I really do miss it. <laughs> it was the only time I went. <laughs> I only went because I was playing. <laughs> yeah, really? They just they never had enough artists in the lineup that that I wanted to see. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I mean, they always had a, a, you know a handful that I'd like to see, but never enough for me to yeah spend all that money to and we, be out in the heat. <laughs> Yeah, it was always a stinking hot day, that's for sure. <laughs> and, um, yeah, having to fight, having to line up for toilets and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, the other that one that comes to mind would be uh, when we opened up for Skillet at HQ, the the new HQ at, that was in uh, Hindley Street. Mm. It was, that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Sold out crowd there. So, does um, Audio Rain have any plans to release any anything new in the you know near future? Well, we've got a um, few new songs written. Um, we'll probably find some time to go in the studio and just record. Um, I don't know, maybe three or four songs, and. Release them sort of, maybe not all of them, but a couple of them as singles down the track and then perhaps actually do a um, deluxe version of our album where we add those songs to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, we've actually still got a couple of singles left on, on the album. We've, we've done a clip for for one song already and there's a big ballad on there that's got string section and everything, which I think is definitely single material. In fact, it's been mm-hmm. it was played on digital radio over in the US on college stations and whatever. And we you know, even though it wasn't single, but the we had so many young American girls just liking our page after after that got played a uh, fair bit over there. So that kind of indicates that, yeah, it probably would be a good single release. 20 quick random <laughs> questions in the space of uh, two minutes. Yep. I'd be very surprised if we get to halfway through them. <laughs> so what I want you to do, I don't want you to think about it too much, okay? So I'm going to ask the question and then you're just going to give me the first answer that pops into your head. It's just a, a fun way to end the yep. interview. All right, so are you ready for this? Okay, so I'm going to ask the 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in a space of two minutes to close the interviews. So your time starts now. Name the first album that you purchased. Sweet's Biggest Hits. Your favourite band? Beatles. Bonham or Baker? Bonham. Favourite venue? Oh, Febben Theatre. Least favourite song? <laughs> uh, um, there's some songs I hate, I tell you. <laughs> uh, Kryptonite. <laughs> favourite cartoon? Uh, Ren and Stimpy. Batman or Catwoman? Catwoman. The most sticks you've dropped during a gig? Oh, probably four. Favourite TV series? Fargo. Worst movie you've ever seen? Um, oh, pass. <laughs> Last album you purchased? Um, oh, last album I purchased would be um, uh, Dream Theatre of the Astonishing. Your biggest fear? Uh, going to hell. Hardest song to play? Oh, um, that would be, oh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> dine in or take away? Oh, dine in. Best drum solo? 
Oh, Mike Mangini um, on the um, Steve Vai uh, Ultra Zone Tour. <laughs> Name a band you wish you'd seen. I wish I'd had seen the original suite. And your time is up, as you can hear. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's a car horn. How many did I get? <laughs> you got through most of them, actually. You did really well, Dieter. Thank you very much for joining me today. You've been a pleasure to chat to. Thanks. I didn't bore you too much. <laughs> no, no boring at all. <laughs> Not at all. Um, no, it's been great. Thank you for joining me today on the uh, podcast and I will let you know when it's all ready to go and you can have a listen and listen back and go, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all been good. Um, No, you're very easy to chat to, so it's been great. Thank you.